In this episode of The Interface, I sit down with Ryan Fisher, General Manager of Amphenol Aerospace in Sydney, New York. Ryan's been with Amphenol close to 15 years and has worked his way up from a temp employee in customer service to becoming a general manager in Amphenol in about 10 years. We talk about the recent expansions for Amphenol Aerospace in both Nogales, Mexico and Mesa, Arizona. We discuss how much he learned becoming a general manager for the first time for Amphenol Alden, then moving back to Amphenol Aerospace to assume the role there. We talk about why he thinks his degree in political science has helped him in his role, and we talk about the chances for his beloved Buffalo Bills to win the AFC East this year. This is The Interface. How would you describe so far how this year has been as we're coming up to the end of December? That's a big question for the first question. Well, I'm just going to get right into it. Yeah. It's been a great year. Yeah. Uh, for our division. Uh, another 20% growth. You can't complain about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we've made a lot of improvements as we've gone. So uh, the, the growth comes from a lot of the funding. We we all know that. But it's been decades and decades of good positioning in terms of programs and products, as well as some really good new products that have come online recently, too. So I think the biggest thing that I've noticed as well, especially over the last year, is your expansion physically. Um, my my personal locations. physical expansion? <laughs> no, you've had a, a uh, what's the opposite of that? You know, contraction? Yeah, contraction. Jeez, I can't even think of the word. Um, you know, with all your, your running and everything. You and your running. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm running from. Yeah, but. I don't either. But you run, whatever you're running from, you're running much faster than I'm running yeah. from it. Yeah, I'm taking my time. You're not. Um, but as far as the expansion of your particular business, um, sure. especially to, to Mesa, Arizona. Yeah, to Mesa um, and the new facility in, in Nogales. Mm -hmm. And a lot of credit of that is uh, Luke's support's been tremendous. Um, you know, I remember when he told us, no, it's time. One of our favorite customers came back and mm -hmm. told him that our facility in Mexico was absolute garbage and we needed to leave. And none of us disagreed. And Luke said, we're going to move it. And Rob Goodchild and I looked at him and like, now? <laughs> like, we're really delinquent and there's a lot of backlog. Should we really do it now? Mm -hmm. He said, yes, we, we're doing it. And um, so that was a gutsy call. And then it was up to us to execute and yeah. the, the team in Mexico support here. And uh, they did an amazing job uh, moving that whole facility. I was just down last week with uh, with, with the whole team. Uh, celebrating, you know, that move and a good year, another mm -hmm. huge growth for them out of that facility. And now they're really set up to be in a, a world-class facility and to drive some world-class results. Yes. Soon. Yeah. And, and having myself been in the old facility a number of times over the years, uh, the difference between the old facility and the new facility is as night and day as you could imagine. Yeah. Um, it's it's unbelievable well, one, the difference. One was lit like the night and one is lit like the day. Yeah, it was now, kind of being, is... yeah, literally. Literally, you yeah. know, you don't like to, yeah. literally night and day. Well, it's not really, but it was pretty close. It was pretty close. It was pretty close. Um, so yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great new facility that, that you guys are in when you expanded, what, about 50% larger than what the old facility was? Yeah, I mean, almost doubled. Right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Almost doubled. It was like 95,000 square feet and, and to 190,000 square feet. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. And then you have the the other 
expansion, which is a completely, I mean, it's really just starting to kick off sure. now, but the, of, of expanding the AAO family to more of the West coast, although it's not the coast, but the, the Western part of the United States into Mesa, Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's really exciting and continues to be exciting. We're um, looking forward to bringing the whole sales force to see it, but 75,000 square feet for us to grow into. And we ran our first shells, uh, yeah. Last week, and now we're into production, running running shells and uh, some great equipment. It's getting us some great uh, great throughput, great drop times. So we're excited. We think that can be uh, a huge area for growth for us. And you know, it gets us closer to our customers. That was one reason mm-hmm. for sure. Um, gets us a new talent pool to recruit from. Uh, it's been hard to find employees in upstate New York, and and Mexico is always challenging. So. So that's really um, a good guy for us, I think. And then it gives us risk mitigation, too. Sure. So we can qualify our QPL products. And if something were to go wrong um, or some change in regulation, there's been a few of those recently. <laughs> uh, so we can't really predict all that stuff. Right. And uh, better to have risk mitigation planned into the business. So this will help us. Yeah. So, I mean, I was going to ask you for your... Your little pitch here, your little spiel. Yeah, now, yeah. With, you know, when you it's go about and see the thirtieth time I've, I've given that. <laughs> yeah, that came off pretty smooth yeah. because I was going to say, okay, now that you have all this, you got yeah. a new factory at Nogales. You're going to open up this new place in in Mesa. What is that? How do you how do you sell that to the larger customer base, the industry, the market? Now, sure. I mean, you've largely done it, but I don't know if you left anything out that you could think of. No, I mean, I, I think. The reason as much as anything, I mean, we're doing it because we see there's a market to be had and we can grow even more. So we want more revenue or like any business, we want mm-hmm. to grow. But we really do think it's a big benefit for our customers because I, I, I think with Luke's leadership and, and support from Adam and the rest of the team at corporate, we, we believe in this military aerospace market uh, in a way that I won't say our competitors don't believe in it, but we're putting our money where our mouth is, and we are really investing. Mm-hmm. And uh, this isn't just invest to, you know, get out of delinquency and grow incrementally in the next few years. This is investment to put this business on uh, on a growth track for the next decade. And, yeah, uh, that's that's what this level of funding and capitalization is about. So let me let me back up now. So we got your sales pitch out. Sure. Of the way. So you can. There you go. <laughs> you can check that off. Check that off of the things to talk about. Um, but I think it's important for people to hear that, um, especially not only for people in Amphenol that listen to this, but if there sure. are people from the industry that listen to this, I think it's important to know that, you know, we're talking about one of the larger Amphenol divisions in the entire corporation. And I think it's it's worth noting and noting by talking about it a little bit about these expansions and what you guys are doing um, because the military and aerospace market continues to grow, thankfully, yeah. and we're investing in that growth and in that future growth. So I think it's important to talk about that. But let me back up for a second now because you have, everyone here has got this you know unique story of how they got to Amphenol. You're no different. Sure. So you go to college in in Nazareth, right? Yeah, in, Rochester, in Rochester, New York. Rochester, New York. Yeah. Political science. Yeah, and history. And history. But to, yeah, uh, couldn't focus. So I had, had to look at two things. <laughs> and somehow you end up here in Sydney, New York. Yeah. Starting off as a temp in customer service. Yeah, making $13 an hour, which was more than I had ever made. So how did that happen? Uh, you know, circumstances and... Uh, 
coincidences and like a lot of people with people you meet at college. I mean, that's a, it's not really a secret, but if anyone who reads into these things, it becomes clear. College is, is important for your education. But it's also important because you meet people that get you connections. Right. And mine was not a connection maybe into, you know, Morgan Stanley or something, but it was a connection into a company called Amphenol Aerospace, mm-hmm. you know, in upstate New York. Um, so my college roommate mm-hmm. works here, Jeremy Williams. Uh, his father, Ron Williams, who also works here, right. was a customer service manager at the time. And uh, he he asked me one one evening senior year we were going out to dinner kind of a celebration dinner and he said so you're moving to the area huh and uh, I was moving here because my wife was going to go to grad school at uh, at the local state school and he said what are you going to do and being the ambitious striver that I was at the Mm -hmm. time I said I have no idea and he said well do you need a job I said yeah I guess I need a job well I I always have jobs I can never keep customer service people (laughs) Which, which is which is a, a constant struggle. And he said, so if you want a job, just come interview and we'll see if we can give you a job. And so I said, well, that sounds great to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came to this little town of Sydney, certainly never heard of it before, and uh, got a customer service job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what began you, from there. What did you learn from that initial customer service job? Because I've talked about it before. We talked to Lindsey Gray a couple weeks ago on an episode, um, and I know I did nine months in customer service as well. Every time I say that, it I sounds feel like, like it's, it's like it's, a, there's yeah. a negative connotation yeah. to it, and I don't mean it that way. Right. But it's like it's, your military it's, service. It's a, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like this, but it's like this trial by fire that you get thrown into. Yeah, and I've always had the opinion, and I think you are probably the same way. There's no better and quicker way to learn about the business than by working in yeah. customer service. Yeah, yeah, I learned I was a terrible note taker. Um, because uh, Audra, who, uh, who trained me, mm-hmm. got so furious with me for constantly having to tell me the same screens over and over and over again. Uh, I can't really read my own writing, uh, so notes don't help me that much. <laughs> but what it, it learned, you know, I learned uh, rather to multitask, for one, uh, because there's always a lot going on yeah. on, those, on those desks, and uh, you have to learn prioritization. And uh, Brad Wolf you know, taught me his analogy that he used with his salespeople, probably still does. Uh, he'd, say, he'd say, Ryan, you got to know the glass balls and the rubber balls because the rubber balls will bounce, and the glass balls will break. Hmm. And uh, picking, picking the glass balls is something you learn on, on a desk like that. You don't always get it right, even if you're good at it. Yeah. Still get that one customer that you thought was okay, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're sending an email to your CEO, which I've had that happen. Yeah. Uh, and I still have that happen. <laughs> um, but... You definitely learn to figure out what's important and um, and then how to communicate with yeah. customers and how to communicate clearly. Agreed. Um, and and honestly, because you certainly don't always have the best information or the best news for customers in, in, in those roles. I saw it's the dreaded, um, you know, expediting via tracking number. Can you please send me the tracking number? And even before you look in the system, you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Has it changed? No, there's no tracking number, I'm sure. Oh, no, <laughs> this is going to be bad. Yeah. Uh, so you get that sense of dread. But you, if you can communicate to the customer, here's what I know. Here's what I'm going to go find out for you. It, and it's that going and finding out for you that was so valuable in that role. Because if you did it effectively, you had to go learn how the business exactly. came together. Yeah. Right? Well, it's, it's, a, 
it's waiting uh, it's waiting on a Jim Hanif work order. Well, what the heck is a Jim Hanif work order? Right. right? And you get into all this Byzantine history and terminology yeah, yeah. of this place, but that's that's how you learn. Yeah. And uh, it's the only way. How soon was it before, after you were here, that you thought, you know, I think I might want to make this a career here? Like, I really see something. Mm. I see potential. I see a way that I can really grow. Because it happened, I'm going to be honest, I mean, and I've known you your entire time. You've been here, and we've been, you know, close friends and all that. It happened fairly quickly. Sure. So I mean, how quickly may, in, maybe in your not as mind? Quick. Maybe it didn't feel as quick. Um, I think I, I I went from customer service into product marketing positions, and uh, and they, they, it was very engaging, and mm-hmm. I was learning a lot. I still... I still kind of envisioned something different. I, I thought I'd, I was joke. I, my father's a professor, mm-hmm. a professor of philosophy, retired now. Um, but uh, I, I always thought I'd be in academia. I, I'd go into teaching. Yeah. Um, so I'd go be a really poor professor, which is uh, <laughs> what my father was his whole life. <laughs> but he seemed to enjoy it. And uh, I still love reading and, and yeah. uh, you know, all, all that side of stuff. And, and I like teaching. Luckily, I get to do a lot in this position. But at, at some point, I said, you know what? I'm going to go back and get my MBA. Yeah. And uh, I'll, let me see if Amphenol is, is actually willing to pay for that. And they were in this case, which I'm very thankful for. And I said, I, I'm going to see where this goes. And uh, I'm going to put my all not only into the job, which I, I was already doing, but everybody's got a little bit more they can give. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then I'm, I'm going to go learn a little bit uh, – of the of the science behind business that I didn't have a lot of exposure to. Right. Uh, so so more of the terminology. Learn some accounting. Uh, learn some operations. You know, and you learn. It's hard unless you're applying it to say you've learned much, but um, you still get some of the basics that definitely help you uh, when you go back to a program like that. Agreed. Yeah. And then kind of coming out of that, I think the biggest thing. Besides some of that basic terminology, the other thing I learned in, in that job was I could work 60 hours a week and, and survive. Mm-hmm. A caveat, I had no children yet. Uh, I lived in Sydney. Yeah. I lived in Sydney for seven years. Yeah. And so work was five minutes away. And so all I did was go to school and work. But it taught me I could juggle even more than I thought I could juggle. Um, and I always tell people that go back to, to school while they're working, just just get ready when you're done. You're not going to know what to do with your free time. Yeah. Uh, wow, there's like nothing to do at night. It's it's incredible. Yeah. But but it also just gives you like a momentum and, and an understanding of your capacity. And so I would say at some point from making the decision to, to go get my MBA to the two years when I finished with it, it that transition happened. Mm-hmm. I was I was in it for the long haul. There was nothing... Uh, there was nothing else I was searching for than than connectors. I had found my dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, myself and others kind of watched what you were doing at the time. Yeah. And like, right, maybe we should try that too. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and then we did. I mean, what I've said about it before about, you know, going back and, and getting an MBA, if nothing else, it enhanced my ability to think. Yeah. Well, that's That's what I, it was nothing sure. really specific. Sure. I mean, yeah, a little accounting, a little finance, a little economics, a little organizational behavior, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, communication. But it just, it broadened your your worldview a little bit more yeah. that when you came back and applied it into work, it was like, okay, I, I think I know how to, to 
situate myself with this and organize it. Let, let, let me ask you one of my favorite interview questions. Okay. Relevant, relevant to that. Yeah. Okay. And so one of the things I love to ask is, so regarding your MBA, sometimes I'll ask us about undergrads too, but yeah. what was your favorite class in MBA? Um, you know what? It was probably, it wasn't stats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did it and it was fine and, and still remember standard deviations. Probably organizational behavior. Yeah, sure, sure. I think that was the one. Yeah. I think just because it was, there's no right or wrong answers. And yeah. while I hated that in my undergraduate work, I loved it yeah. when I was doing the graduate work. Yeah. And then I always flip it back and say, so what was your least favorite class? Yeah, stats or, <laughs> or, or economics or, yeah. or accounting. And it's nothing against that stuff. It's just not for me. Or he do, he mean, doesn't hate you, Andy. No, yeah. no. It's just I like to be creative and think and yeah. brainstorm and do all that stuff, you yeah. know. And so just you know, lining up numbers on a sheet, I'm like, Ugh, yeah. Okay. All right, I'll do this, but right, yeah. So, right. so anyway, but it does teach you. I mean, a lot of you know what you gravitate to in school and what what intellectual curiosities you have. Um, everyone has different intellectual curiosities, and I think that. Uh, that can speak to what what you can see, succeed at in an organization, where your strengths are going to be, where your weaknesses are. Yeah, and, uh, you definitely learn that about yourself when you go back to school. Well, that's not to go off on this whole MBA thing. This is the this is the last one. The the I think maybe the most important thing that I might have gotten out of that whole thing was the exercise, and you probably remember it when you did it too, was the reflected best self. Oh yeah. Which was awkward to do. Totally awkward. In, in, in asking people who know you well to yeah. say good things about you and, and document it and record it. That's uncomfortable to do. However, when you compile that then and yeah. see what people really think of you, it was enlightening. Um, and I was surprised by some of it. I was. Well, everybody said you'd be good at podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When they were barely taken off at yeah. the time. Um, you know, but that, it was helpful to me. And as I'm sure it was to everyone, that's why sure. they do the exercise to go, oh, so this is what I'm good at. It's like confirmation of it. I think that was really, that that really stuck with me quite a bit. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. We can, we're already boring people enough with, <laughs> with MBA talk here on, uh, on the Interface podcast. Um, fast forward, you get then, after you get done with that and you had various positions here at Amphenol Aerospace in Sydney, you got your first general manager role sure. at Amphenol Alden in Brockton, Massachusetts. Yeah. So what was that leap like when you first did that? Like and then say, if you I like can briefly say, talk about what Alden does. Sure, sure. If, I like to say Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. It, sounds, it sounds much more glamorous uh, for anyone that knows anything about Brockton. But, I was being real. Man. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the experience was scary at, at first, for sure. Just even getting the opportunity um, to, to do that, to take that leap and, mm -hmm. and to move my family. I had a, my, uh, oldest son then was my only son, Isaac, and he was not even a year old. Mm -hmm. um, and we had just bought a house in Binghamton. We had moved down to Binghamton. Uh, and then, you know, the world changed. And right. I, I was asked, do you want to go, uh, by, by Luke and, and by Gary at the time and Adam, you know, do you want to go, uh, and be a general manager here. We need, we need a general manager at Alden. At the time, Dave Silverman uh, was the general manager, and Adam had different ideas for him uh, back at back at headquarters, and so so they needed someone to fill that role. Um, 
And my wife and I talked about it for a while and talked with our families and friends and said, yeah, this makes sense. We got we to take the plunge. And after we figured out how in the world we would buy a house in Boston, which was much different <laughs> than upstate New York, yeah. um, we, we made the move. And, you know, it was a really rewarding experience uh, uh, going to a completely new business. So mm-hmm. I, uh, Alden specializes in medical, uh, medical device products, so connectors, cable assemblies for a medical device. So there, there were some similarities in design cycles and, and ruggedization needs. Um, you know, it takes a long time to get specced in, takes a long time to qualify, um, has a lot of uh, environmental, you know, performance. So, right. so it wasn't completely foreign, um, but new customers. Uh, sure. FDA, not DLA. Mm. Um, <laughs> Leave that at that. But uh, what was really interesting, though, was coming into a new set of people and a new set of dynamics. And uh, I was really fortunate in that business is that the leadership team that was there was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them were long-term. Some of them were up-and-comers um, but were very talented. And so a lot, of, a lot of the hard work of kind of solidifying an organization and getting the right people in the right spots – uh, had been done by by Dave and and Betsy Alden, who owned the business and sold it to Amphenol beforehand, um, and that's really the hardest thing to do, quite frankly, is getting the right people in the right spots and and where they can thrive and where they can benefit the organization and and benefit themselves in, in terms of being successful. Uh, so it was a good, you know, it was a good place to be a first time GM. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put it that way, but. Um, it, it had challenges, and there there were days like there always are in any of these businesses, and in a, a lot of jobs, most jobs at Amphenol, there's days where there are challenges that uh, you didn't think you'd have to take on. Yeah. So, but I got really comfortable there and really enjoyed it, and we were having some great growth. And Victor, who replaced me, and the team is still having great growth. Right. Uh, so a very very successful business, and uh, I had a blast. And then you. I guess, say, get a call going, hey, you want to come back to Sydney? I know there's a lot of, <laughs> I'm jumping over a lot of uh, things that happened there, but y- you get the opportunity to come back to Amphenol Aerospace in Sydney and you go from Alden yeah. back to Amphenol Aerospace, which you certainly knew the business, yeah. but the size and scope was yeah. drastically different. Definitely, um, definitely different. H- how daunting... Uh, I mean, I guess I'll say, like, how scared were you when you first had that opportunity? Um, I think I was scared personally more just, just uprooting a family again. Yeah. Um, now we had a second child that was less than one years old. The other one did age. He had he was not less than one year oh, old okay. two years later. Oh, well, that's good. Then. Yeah, yeah, he's coming along. <laughs> uh, but I remember the day clearly and, and uh, you know, not to go into gory details, and you and many people know them, but Luke called me into, he called me into my office at, at Alden. Yeah. He was Come there, into your office. He was there visiting. He, he said, <laughs> we need to have a talk. And he closed the door. And, I mean, you remember, and, and, and guys like uh, a lot of other people on the leadership team here mm-hmm. uh, remember, we stayed in touch. And yeah. uh, so my heart was always still in Sydney. I, I always wanted to know what was going on. Right. And um, when he shut the door, I and 
I already I knew exactly what he was about to say. Oh really? Oh yeah. Okay, I didn't uh, know that. It was kind yeah. of like a, a, a oh gosh, it's it's yeah, it's time. Um, and I guess in the back of my mind, I always thought I would come back to Sydney someday, perhaps. But mm-hmm. I thought it'd be ten, twelve. Who knows how yeah. long, right? And uh, so when he sat down and 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 had that look and said. We think there's an opportunity for you to to go be the GM at Sydney. Uh, you know, my I I was excited, um, but nervous as hell. And how yeah. how do I go back to my wife and tell her? <laughs> but I'll tell you, it was the exact same with her. I sat down and said, "We got to talk." And she basically said, "They're moving you back to Sydney, aren't they?" I, she yeah. she knew it was coming. Yeah, too. yeah. Um, so then we just had to do it, you know, and. Do the whole thing again and sell a house and find a house and, and, and make a transition and live in transition. So all that stuff was kind of hard um, because we were really happy in Boston. Mm-hmm. But um, we have family here. It was good for our family and, and it was good for the business. And I could never say no to the business. Sure. When, when they wanted me and needed me to come back, um, needed somebody that knew how to run this business to come back, I was excited to do it. So... There were some nervous times, though, and there were some tough times going on in the business at the time. But it, it felt like home. I remember on day one of the month, mm-hmm. the first month, it was April 2015, and just walking into our day one meeting that's very structured. Gary Anderson always had very structured meetings all the way through the month and kind of stepping into that, that, that room and just saying, guys, welcome to April. Yeah. We just sat down and started going through the numbers. Uh, and Like not missing a beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there was a lot that you had to come back up to speed on and, and where we were at in certain, on certain things. But, uh, but no, it was kind of refreshing. It was kind of refreshing and uh, challenging and, and good to be back with, with colleagues and, and, and friends. Yeah. And, and I just value the leadership team here so much. And the, the directors here are just what they take on is incredible, and um, I knew that I had support from a fantastic team, so mm-hmm. that also made it a lot less nerve-wracking. And it's been going pretty well since. <laughs> There's been some interesting events. There sure we don't has. have to go through them, but yeah, I mean, there have been a couple of interesting events that have happened in your time here. There sure has. And, um, I, and, and I, I'll, you know, Rob, good channel again, we, we always joke about this. I mean, give Sydney two or three years, and th- th- there is no stretch where there's no interesting no interesting events. There's it's always just, something that happens. It's just the nature yeah. of, of this business. There is never a dull year yeah. in Sydney, but I'm always hoping. So 2020, just nice 10% growth, great conversion, no big. <laughs> this is the year for us to have a boring year. It'll be great. So I'm going to ask an awkward question. Oh, good. Yes. Throw you off a little bit. Maybe, maybe not. Um, so you're a young looking guy. Ah. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, you could probably go to a college bar now and get carded when you're well beyond the age of. It's been like a year, which is getting concerning oh, that okay. I haven't that I haven't been carded in a year. But yes. <laughs> so my question is, how often do you meet with mm, big yeah. customers and they go, yeah, we're going to be meeting with the general manager of Amphenol sure. Aerospace, who is one of our largest suppliers. And you, who looks like you could pass for 23, walks in the door. Sure. Sure. How often do you encounter that, and how do you try to diffuse that? It uh, it happens less now, just because I've I've 
gone Mat- around the industry matured. so often. Well, that too. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, it's not that. It's it's just people have already gotten over that. Yeah. Um, but no, it definitely happens. And, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes there'll be <laughs> the people with the, le- the least amount of tact will say, uh, when did you when did you graduate or when, when did you uh, when did you start at Amphenol? Yeah. You know, so they try to do yeah, passive aggressive. They try to way, do the yeah. the resume math. Yeah. Um, you know, but I don't, people quickly get over it when you just you get into the meeting and you get into the discussions. Uh, and I I make light of it. I make jokes. And sure. you know, one of the jokes that I make is uh, when we talk about the demographics of this this business and and we've got you know, this big gap. Right. If you look at the graph of ages and, and, and um, uh, count, you know, of employees, you see you see a, a high spike in the 20s to early 30s and then a big dip all the way till you get to 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's this big middle ground that has very few of us in it. And there's a reason for that, because that's just the way the industry is. The whole industry is like that. Yeah. Um, and so I always make the jokes that that's one reason we have a 37-year-old GM, right? <laughs> because uh, there's, there's there's not a lot of people to select from in that in that um, 40-something uh, pool. Yeah. But the other thing, the other reason that it's not, I don't see it as often is because I'm encountering that more and more at our customers too. Sure. So now I'm I'm starting to see a lot of 30-somethings that are in you know directors of procurement roles or senior engineering manager and um, our customers are dealing with the exact same thing uh, so um, it's kind of nice actually yeah and, and I think it's huge opportunity in our industry not just in Amphenol but also just in our industry um, because there is a lot there's leadership vacuums that are filling right now mm-hmm. and it's it's a good place it's a good place to be did you envision would you, if we had told you your senior year at Nazareth, this is where you would be in 2019. Would you have believed it? No, I mean, no. <laughs> I, I, it depends on, you know, you know, position-wise, uh, industry-wise. You know, I try to find me anybody at Amphenol that would say they were going to sell connectors when well, I they, wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't <laughs> 20 years later, yeah. right? So, but the thing you learn when you get into the world is that everything is specificity. I mean, everybody works in some level of specificity. I mean, what do we really do? Well, we, we build equipment for aircrafts and for, for missiles and things that people do know and do use in their lives. Very few of them use missiles, perhaps. But mm-hmm. uh, we all ride on airplanes, uh, and, and we all understand the military equipment that uh, is so important to, to the defense of uh, this industry and our allies. Um, but we just do a very small part in it. Very important part, I would say. A very profitable part, I would say. I, yeah, uh, I would say so. Yeah. But every industry is like that, you know. What I mean? Sure. So it's hard to predict where you're going to be in terms of, of of leadership and and management. You know, I didn't think I'd be in business. Uh, I, I, that that was never my vision. But you know, I I wasn't exactly a ten year planner type. Uh, personality when, yeah. when when I was in college, so <laughs> I was taking it one day at a time. So uh, I don't I don't think I would have been shocked because I would have said I have no idea where I'm going to be. Does the political science and history help at all? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. yeah. I think I want to hear why. I think it does. So political science, especially. Um, I liked political science because I like to study systems and study mm. decision making processes uh, within systems. Um, uh, I like to 
understand, you know, power structures uh, within large organizations. Um, and so, like, just silly stuff like parliamentarian, you know, differences in parliamentarian law between the UK system and the US system. And I, I actually like that. I still read that stuff. I'm yeah. still interested in that stuff. I can tell you what's going on with the budget right now and, and what the chances are that you know, oh, we're good. They're going to screw this yeah. up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we'll leave politics aside. But when you come into an organization, especially large organizations, which which Sydney is a, a pretty decent sized business, um, I think that's helpful to understand how decisions are made and, and and what it's going to take if you want to get an idea that you have and that you think is valuable. Yeah. And you want to see it through to fruition. It's not just enough to have a good idea and be the smartest in the room. Um, a lot of a lot of people that are the smartest in the room but don't understand how to get their idea sold get very frustrated. I, yes, uh, and I notice all the time. So yeah. you actually don't have to have the smartest idea in the room. You've got to understand how to pick who does and then how to help get that idea implemented. Yeah. How to get change through an organization, um, how to get sustainable change through an organization. That's, that's all very similar to political science. All right. You know what? I was taking a naive view of it and, and <laughs> trying to make light of it, but you actually gave a great answer. So, okay. I, I tried yeah. and, and I failed miserably, <laughs> um, but nevertheless, no, it's a good answer. I, I see what you're saying yeah. now in, in all seriousness. And I it, don't think everyone needs to read Plato's The Republic in order to be good in connectors though, just as a, a No, but if they have insomnia, it may help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so a couple more questions, um, and then we'll, uh, I'll, I'll release you so you mm. can be free here. Your decade best of music list, is it almost done? It's, it's coming along. Okay. It's certainly coming along. Uh, I've got about 30 albums down to, I got to get down to 10. Okay. It's important so that I can reflect, you mm -hmm. can reflect, others yes. who don't, who spend too much time reflecting on silly things can reflect. So, yes. yeah. You and I spend way too much time on this and we'll probably continue to for a while. Yeah. I am narrowing down as well. I still have a couple of weeks to get down to, you got to have like 10, you have yeah. a good round yeah. number, yeah. right? And so um, if anyone asks, then maybe we could provide it, but otherwise it's just going to remain between like five people. Yeah, <laughs> right. Five very, yeah, five, five people that spend too much time on this. And, yeah. and other things to spend too much time on, by the way, you know, Spotify will give you your music uh, yes. and review and stuff, which yes. I love. They also give you your podcasts. Yeah. And so I was looking yesterday, and uh, you know, you and I love this medium. Yeah. That's one reason you know, you're doing this is because you love this medium so much, and we right. talk about it a lot. But I looked. I, I listened to nine days' worth of podcasts this year. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was like wow. 13,000 minutes Wow. this yeah, that's year. What, it's over 200 hours. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's that, that makes you think, Wow. What else could I, I should probably be teaching my son to read. Yeah. <laughs> well, you still have that 60 hours a week here. You're working. We yeah, know that. Right, right. <laughs> Final question. The Bills are a game out of first mm. place in the AFC East as we speak right now, nine and three behind the 10 and two New England Patriots. Yeah. Do they have a chance to win the division before the end of the season? Ryan Fisher, your answer. They have one more game with them. Yes, they have a chance. Uh Although I haven't looked into the weird tiebreaker rules. Um, I, I think if they can go to Foxborough with a chance to tie the Pats record and, uh, and, and clinch that tiebreaker, uh, yeah, 
I have to think so. I'm a Bills fan. I'm delusional. Right. Okay, we we have to be delusional. Otherwise, you know, for the optimist. Why, why would we continue to watch Bills Mafia? Bills Mafia. Well, big game this weekend against the Ravens. That'll that'll go a long way to seeing how good the Bills right, are. So I'm full of angst. Brian Fisher, thank you. Thank you.